The rest of us, we will be in John chapter 15. So if you would, find your, grab your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we have some in the pews next to you. I'd love for you all to join and, and see what we're looking at this morning. Um, I, I'll tell you this, at Valley Avenue Baptist Church, we preach the Word of God. We preach expositorily, we preach through books of the Bible, and we let the Bible tell us what we need to know because I, I'm just a man, and I don't have anything for you. But the Bible does, Amen. And so we try to we try to turn every time in our passage to that, so that you can see what I see. So John chapter fifteen. Whenever you find your place there, if you want to mind to stand, and we'll be in John chapter number fifteen, <clears throat> and we'll start our reading in verse number twelve. It says this: This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is my commandment that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Now that's a pretty incredible love, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. Verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends." For all things have I heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. So we're going to consider this morning what it means to be a friend of Jesus. And by the way, it's just incredible to think that's even a possibility, isn't it? To be a friend of Jesus, but he wants to be your friend. I guarantee you that this morning. He wants to be the friend of each and every one of us this morning. And we're going to consider what that looks like as we get into it. But first, let's pray and we'll ask God's help. God, thank you so much for our friends that have come. Thank you, Lord, for our guests. Thank you, Lord, for our church family. Thank you for just the great spirit that is here and that we get to worship you and glorify you and praise you together. Thank you for the beautiful song as we consider the cross of Christ and all that it means to us. Help us, God, to have hearts that are open now as we get into your word. Pray that you would bless and work in a mighty way. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing this morning. So friends are an important part of life, aren't they? All of us know what it means to have a good friend. The 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, said this, The better part of one's life consists of his friendships. The better part of one's life consists of his friendships. King Solomon said this in the Bible, Proverbs 27:17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Albert Hubbard said this, A friend is a person who knows all about you and still likes you. Amen. I found this quote on the great philosophical mind called Google. said this, Friendship is so weird. You just pick a human you've met, and you're like, Yep, I like this one. And then you just do stuff with them. Friendship. Amen? I, I think it was Brother Dave Hardy who's preached here before is quoted saying this. I, I believe it was him. I was trying to figure it out, but I know I've heard it from somebody like him, at least. He said this, Two things will most influence where you'll be in ten years. They are the books that you read 
and the friends that you make. And so choose them both very carefully. Because friendships are important. They affect our life, don't they? A good friend can be a wonderful blessing. A bad friend can be devastating to your life. But this morning, we're talking about the greatest friendship we can ever have. And there is no more important friendship that you can have in your life, no more influential friend that you can have in the best way possible than Jesus himself, obviously. We sing about that in a lot of our hymns. We sang this morning, didn't we? What a friend we have in Jesus. We sing Jesus, what a friend of sinners. We sing, I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And so you won't find a better friend than Jesus. But we have to remember this this morning, that our friendship that we have with Jesus is very different than any other friendship that we have. Okay, so in the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses, as far as I can tell, are the only two in the Old Testament that were called the friend of God. In our passage, Jesus calls the disciples his friend, Jesus being God. And so Jesus is their friend, but we have to remember this too, that he is still their master, he is still their teacher. He is still God. And Jesus wants to be your friend, but we need to remember that even when he is our friend, he is still God. Um, Why do you say that? Well, because normally when we think of friends, we think of somebody who's about on the same level as us, right? That's how we think about our friends. We, We think of friends as peers, And I think that there's a danger that as we think of Jesus as our friend, that we somehow have this chummy attitude, like he's the big JC or the man upstairs. And that is not our God. He is is God, the creator, the almighty creator of the universe. He is not our peer, and we are, are in no ways equal with him. And so it's kind of a strange friendship, right? It's kind of strange that way. I mean, he says in our passage, John 15, 14, I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus said this, ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. <laughs> and now we'll deal more about what that means here in a moment. But which of us talk to our friends like that? Do you talk to your... I hope you don't talk to your friends like that. That means you have very little friends. You're my friend if you do whatever I say. <laughs> you know? Now, three-year-olds talk that way. Um, but, but usually we don't talk that way about our friends. We want to say that if we're being serious. Like sometimes I'll tell Brother Tim, do everything I say or I'm not your friend. But we're just, we're just kidding. Uh, but because but here's why, because that's not how friendship works between human beings, right? But Jesus is more than just one of the friends, one of the guys, right? He's more than a friend. He is our friend, and he wants to be our friend, but he's also our Lord. And so as we think about him, as we think about Jesus Christ, and we think about him being our friend, and we think about what it means to be a friend of Jesus, it'll help us to remember he is also our Lord. He is still God. He deserves reverence. And it is a lopsided relationship. Um, he's, he's not just, we're just not equal friends just because of his authority, although that's true. We do what he says. He doesn't do what we say, right? And so we're not equal that way. But also there's this. He loves us more than we'll ever love him. Yeah. He also does more for us than we can ever do for him. In fact, we can't really do anything for him. And anything that we do that is, it can be seen as for him, he did it, right? And so it's a very lopsided friendship that way. But he does want to be our friend. And as we think about who he is, and we think about Jesus Christ, as we think about the creator God of the universe, it's incredible to think that he wants to be our friend. 
I don't know why. We have nothing to offer him, but I'm thankful he does want to be your friend this morning. And you might say, oh, you don't know who I am. Jesus does. And he knows all about you. He knows who I am. And he wants to be my friend. He, he knows who these apostles are. You look into their life. They've made some pretty bonehead decisions. And he wants to be their friend. And I guarantee you this morning, Jesus knows you. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows what you've done. And he wants to be your friend. It's like the quote. He knows who you are and he likes you anyway. <laughs> right? And Jesus loves you just the way you are. But he does love you too much to leave you that way. And he does intend to work in your life. And he does intend to change your life. And he wants to be your friend. And so the question I want you to think about, and the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is this. Would Jesus call me his friend? Right now. Would Jesus call me his friend? In our text, Jesus called the disciples his friends. <clears throat> this was the day before Jesus went to the cross, right? The day right before the Last Supper had just ended. Jesus had left the upper room. Uh, Judas has, has left already to betray Jesus. He's probably on his way to uh, betray Jesus. And now Jesus and the other 11 apostles, they've left the upper room, and now they're headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus is going to be arrested. And John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 are all one long conversation, recording the conversation between Jesus and his apostles from the upper room to the garden. Incredible passage. Uh, I would encourage you to take your time and just read through all four of those chapters. It would have been an amazing night, and I would have loved to be there. He told them about the mansions he was going to build for them. Remember when he said, let not your heart be troubled, for in my house are many mansions. And he, he has left to prepare for us a place. So he told his disciples about that. He told them about the Holy Spirit who would come and he would be their comforter. And just before our passage in chapter 15 is when Jesus told them about the vine and the branch, that Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, and without him, we can do nothing. We can bear no fruit. That's why I say, even the things we do for him is really because of him. And so he talked about that. It would have just been an incredible night of teaching from Christ. And then we get to our passage where Jesus describes what it looks like to be a friend of his. That's what we're going to look at today. Before we look at that, it's important to know what Jesus, it's important to know this. Jesus is not, this might sound like, this might blow your mind, but Jesus is not automatically your friend. He is not automatically your friend. The Bible is very clear that we're actually all born enemies of God. It's hard to hear that, and, and there's some books that, you know, we're going to have to tear some pages out to make it correct that. But he, we are born enemies of God. Colossians 1.21 says this, And you that were sometime, before you were saved, before you accepted Christ as your Savior, before you're saved, Paul said, you are alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, and ye have now been reconciled. He, he wants to be your friend, and he wants to reconcile that, but before we're saved, we're enemies of God. Or enemies of God. Romans 5.10 For if when we were, Paul including himself, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so when we were born, we were born in sin. We were born with a sin nature. 
And, and it's not that God has made himself an enemy of ours. It's not, it wasn't his choice to, to make mankind his enemy, but mankind has rejected him. In the Garden of Eden, God created a perfect garden with everything Adam and Eve could have needed to live a perfect and a, and a joyful and a fulfilled life. But God said, you can eat of everything in this garden and everything I've given you, but there's one tree that you cannot eat of, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what happened? The devil got in Adam and Eve's mind, well, in Eve's mind, and said, you know what? If you eat of this tree right here, if you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, God didn't tell you this because he doesn't like you, but if you eat of this tree, then you can be like him. And what, what, Jesus, what Satan was saying is, if you eat of this tree, you don't have to be under his thumb anymore. You don't have to be under his rule anymore. You can, be, you can live individual from him and separate from God. You can live that way. And, and that's, what, that's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, and they took it. And since then, mankind has been born with a sin nature that says, I want to be God. I don't want God to be my ruler. I don't want God to be my boss. I'm going to live how I want to live. I want to be God of my life. And God says when we think that way, we are actually, in our mind, his enemies. <clears throat> and we were all born that way. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we, listen, we have made ourselves enemies of God. And because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. This is the reality of, of the Bible. This is the reality of the gospel. This is the bad news that makes the good news of the gospel so good. But we have to deal with this. All of us deserve the wrath of God. All of us deserve the judgment of God. We were born that way. And God knows that. And God hates that. It's not like God is happy about it. It's not like God is happy to, to, to bring judgment on, on mankind. Not at all. He loves you very much. He doesn't want, listen, God doesn't want to be your enemy. It wasn't his decision, was it? It was mankind's. It was our decision. He wants to be your friend. He doesn't want to be your enemy. He doesn't want you to suffer his judgment. And that's why in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not face his wrath, but instead have everlasting life. God loves you. And that's why he came to this earth. And that's why Jesus died. I mean, if we didn't deserve the wrath of God, then why in the world did Jesus have to die on the cross? He had to die on the cross not because of his own sin, but because of our sin. And he died on the cross and took his own wrath, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4. He bore his own wrath on the cross so that you don't have to bear his wrath. That's how much he loves you. And why he did that, I don't know. I don't know why. We were still his enemies. We've offered nothing to him, but he loves us so much that he died so that we can be no longer enemies, but that we can be friends. Romans 5.8 says, But God <clears throat> commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wants to be your friend. This isn't just a humanity thing. It's not just 
like God's in heaven just viewing humanity and doesn't know who you are. No, God knows who you are personally, and God sees you, and God knows you, and God loves you, and God wants to be your friend, your friend. But the only way for you to be his friend is he had to die for you. That was the only way. And so that's what he did, isn't it? And our God became a human. The creator of the universe became a man and died. And that's what he said in verse 13 in our passage. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Listen, if he didn't lay down his life for you, then you would have no chance of being his friend. And so that's the first characteristic. The first uh, way we know we're a friend of God is this. He died for you. That's the first characteristic of a friend of Jesus. Now, now we know that Jesus died for everyone. Okay, So let's not get confused here. He didn't just die for the ones he wanted to save. The Bible is very clear. He died for all men. And the Bible is very clear that his desire is that all should be saved. But here's what, he, what Jesus is saying, is that you cannot be his friend unless he died for you. Does that make sense? So if you are a friend of God, the only reason that's possible is because he died for you. He died for you. So that was the first character. The second is this. Friends of Jesus love one another just as he loved us. Friends of Jesus love one another just as he loved us. Here's what Jesus said in verse 12. <clears throat> this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Look at verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And so Jesus has chosen us as his friends. He has died for us. He loved us so much that he died for us. And there's no better way, Jesus says, to love than to lay down your life for your friend. And Jesus laid down his life for us. And he did that. Listen, he died for us, we read it, when we were still his enemies, when we were still actively opposing him. Before we're saved, we're living a life on our own and we're, we're actively rejecting God and, and living life our way. And while we're rejecting him, he died for us. And we had nothing to offer him. And we didn't earn his love. We didn't earn salvation. We had nothing to give him. But he died. He paid it all. And he did everything he could for us to be his friend. And he loved us. Here's the, here's the point. He loved us not because we deserved it. He loved us because he chose to love us. And that's all we can say. Why else did he love you? You know who you are. Now you can act and put on a face. and you can, you can compare yourself to somebody you feel is worse than you. But if you get face to face with the creator God of the universe, you know you don't deserve that. <clears throat> and he loves you because he chose to. While you were still his enemy, while you had nothing to offer him, he chose to love you. And that, Jesus says that's the kind of love that he calls us to love others with. We can define Jesus' love as this, a self-sacrificing, self caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of someone else. It's when you self-sacrifice for the highest good of someone else. Isn't that what Jesus did? He literally laid down his life 
for our best interest, so that we can have a chance to be saved. Now, the highest good for all people is that they would have their sins forgiven. Because we talked about it, didn't we? We're born sinners. We're born separated from God and alienated from Him and enemies of Him. We're born under the wrath of God. And so the greatest need of any person is that their sins be forgiven. That's the greatest need. The second thing, if you have been saved, then your greatest need is to be more and more like Christ. Those are your two greatest needs. And so if we love people the way Jesus loves people, then those two goals are our goals for everybody. When we see somebody, here's what we want for them. We want their sins to be forgiven, and we want them to be like Christ. That's the most important thing. The the most important thing is not necessarily for them to be happy or for them to feel good. That's not the goal if you love someone. The goal if you love someone, truly love someone, is to help them become more and more like Christ, whatever that takes. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are sweet. Right? There are the wounds of a friend. And sometimes we need a wound from our friend. We, sometimes we don't need a pat on the back when we're doing wrong. Are you following? Yeah. Sometimes we need that. Why? Because if you love them, then you want them to be more like Christ. And sometimes we need something, some things we don't like. God chastens us. The Bible says, who, who God loves, He corrects. The, who the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. The, who the Lord loves, he, he, can I just say, He spanks us. What? My psyche is destroyed. No, it's not. We need, we need correcting. When we make wrong decisions in life, our God who loves us tells us about it and helps us correct. And sometimes that hurts, but it's good for our own good. You see? I love my girls, but because I love them, I do not give them everything they want. That's not what love is. Love is not giving somebody everything they want. And I'll tell you, I'm glad God doesn't give me everything I want. If I got everything I ever wanted, I would be a total mess right now. And God doesn't give you everything you want, but He does give you everything you need for what? To be saved and to be more and more in the image of Christ. He loves you that way. And we need to love people that way. Sometimes what people need won't make them happy, but it will give them the best chance to grow and to be who God wants them to be. Sometimes it's not loving to bail somebody out of their problems. Sometimes it's not loving to tell them they're doing great even when they are not doing great. God doesn't give us everything we want, but He always gives us everything we need. Also, love is not a feeling that we have. It's a choice that we make. Love is not a feeling that we have. It's not something that's out of our control. It's a choice to do what is the best for somebody else, even if that means sacrificing ourselves. And if we love, listen, if we love people the way Jesus loved us, then they don't have to earn it. Does that make sense? If If we love people the way they loved us, it doesn't matter what they've done to us. We love them. It doesn't matter who they are. We love them. See? Because that's how Jesus loved us. And we will love them even if they're our enemies. Even if they've hurt us. We will do what is best for them because that's how Jesus loved us. And we will love them sacrificially. We might not literally lay down our life for somebody else, but what we can do is sacrifice our own comfort. We can sacrifice our own reputation. We can sacrifice our time, sacrifice our effort for somebody else's best good to get them the gospel, to help meet their greatest need, or to help them become more and more into the image of Christ. And we'll, we'll help them, we'll love them 
no matter what that means for us. That's love. And it all sounds impossible, and and really, honestly, it is impossible on your own. You're not capable of putting your feelings aside and loving somebody well. You You need God to help you with that. But if we're a friend of Jesus, hey, if we're a friend of Jesus, He can help us love people that way. And that brings us to our next point. The third characteristic of a friend of Jesus is this. Friends of Jesus obey His commandments. Friends of Jesus obey His commandments. Read to the verse we mentioned earlier, verse 14. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. <coughs> now, we can read this, and we can get very confused. Because there are really two ways to read this verse. One way is very confusing and, and borders on heresy. The other way is really the essence of Christianity. And it all hinges on this. It all comes down to the word if. So this right here, he says, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. So this is an if statement. And an if statement always deals with the cause, okay? But that can go both ways. So let's try to focus with me, okay? Let's do our best to engage, because this is nerdy, okay? But it'll help us. If, if can mean that one thing is causing something else to happen. It can mean that. Or if can mean that this is happening because something else happened. It's a cause either way, right? But it can happen, this could have caused that, or this happened because something else caused it to happen. Let me explain. If you practice the piano for years and years and years, then you can probably become a pretty good pianist, right? If you, if you give yourself to it, and if you, if you try, and if you, and if you devote your time and effort, and you try hard, and give a lot of time to it, then you could probably be a, at least a decent pianist, if not a really good pianist. You see that? So if you put the work in, then you can be a good pianist. So that's one way to say it. The other way is this. If you're a really good pianist, like you're incredible, like you're the best pianist of all time, Mike Valdez, then, <laughs> put him on the spot. No, but if you're a great pianist, here's what we know. You put a lot of time and practice into that. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? So there's both ways you can look at that. And so let's apply that to this verse. If you take what Jesus said the first way, it would read like this. If you do whatever I command you, then you're my friend. And Jesus laid his life down for his friends. And so it could be misread and misapplied to say, if you do what I say, then you're saved. If you do what I say, then my laying down my life counts for you. And that is the opposite of the Bible, isn't it? That is not how it works. We do not become his friends because we do everything he says. Okay. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot earn it. It's something that God gave to you. And that's how salvation works. And so it can't be read that way. The second way would be like this. If you do, here's what Jesus said, if you keep my commandments and if you live the life I've called you to do, here's what I know about you. You're my friend. I'll say it again. If you're living the life that I have called you to live, here's what I know about you. You are my friend. That means my you have accepted the gift 
that I have sent you. I have died for all men, and you have accepted that. And you're rightly related to me because this is a relationship, right? Friends, a friendship is a relationship. It's not some kind of robotic thing. And so Jesus says, if you have accepted my gift of salvation, if you've called out on Christ, if you've accepted what Jesus has given you, and you're, and you're rightly related with him, and, and, you, and you love Christ, and he loves you, then you're his friend. And if that's happening, then Jesus will help you obey his commandments. Isn't that just what he said with the vine and the branches? And so if you, you are not going to be able to live the life God has called you to live if you are making yourself an enemy of his. And so what you need to do is accept the gift of salvation. You're not going to be able to live a life that's glorifying to God without having your sins forgiven, without accepting the gift that God has given you. And if you're saved and you're actively opposing God with your life, you cannot expect His help to obey His commandments. But if you are, if you're living the life God has you, of course you're not perfect. Of course you're not doing everything, right? But if you're living the life God's called you to live, then here's what we know. You're a friend of Jesus. You're a friend of Jesus. And so being a friend of Jesus means that you're going to obey Him. The fourth one is this. Friends of Jesus understand his truth. Friends of Jesus understand his truth. Verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So Jesus said he doesn't call us servants anymore, but instead friends. Now what does he mean by that? Well, we're still his servants, right? Paul, after this, almost every letter he wrote says, Paul is servant of Jesus Christ, right? So it's not like we're not his servants at all, but, but here's what Jesus is saying. A master could command a servant and say, hey, go set up tables for 60 guests tomorrow. Just go do it, and he doesn't have to explain anything about it. He doesn't have to tell him why he's doing it, and the, master, the servant just says, yes, sir, and he does it, right? So he could do that in a very cold way, just say, hey, go do this, and that's the end of it. But a master who viewed himself as a friend would tell his servant, hey, go, go set 60, uh, table, uh, 60 uh, sets of... Ta- what, what am I saying? Set the table for 60 guests. That's it. Set the table for 60 guests. Why? Because tomorrow's friend day. And, and Brayson's not in here. But he, he's a great servant and a great friend. Amen? And I am his master. And so I told him why. But I'm also his friend. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, I, but yeah, he did it. And so Miss Cindy and, and, and Zoe and, and Brayson and others set it all up, and they knew why. And so here, that's the point. Is Jesus' point is this, is that he, he wants for us to have more communication with him than just do this, yes, sir. Jesus wants more, com- more communication. He wants more conversation with you than just say, you do this, yes, sir, a blessing. You do this, yes, sir, blessing. No, he actually wants a friendship with you. He's still your master. You're still his servant. But he wants to also be your friend. And he wants to talk with you. And and, and he'll, along the way, as much as we can handle it, explain sometimes why he asks us to do certain things. He doesn't have to, and sometimes he won't, but that's okay. But he does want to talk to us. And he wants to talk to us about more than just, you do this, yes, sir. He wants to hear your struggles. He wants to hear your pain. He wants you to cast your care upon him. And so he's a master of yours, but he's also a friend of yours. You see? Yeah. He's our master, but he's also our friend. 
And he said he will tell us all things. Look at verse 15. For I have called you friends for all things I have made. I have heard of my Father I have made unto to you. By all means there, he, he, he means everything we need to know. Obviously, Jesus doesn't tell us everything God knows. Because we cannot handle that. Right? In fact, in the very next chapter, Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. And, and then after his resurrection, it says in, in Luke 24 that he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, to things that they couldn't understand before he died and rose again. And so he'll give us what we need to know at the moment we need to know it to do what he's called us to do because he's our friend. He doesn't just say, go do it, make sure it's done. He's our friend. And now we have the Holy Spirit. And now we have the completed word of God to tell us everything we need to know to live the life that God has called us to live. This Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts. This is a love letter from our friend and our master, and he wants to communicate with you, and he has written it down, and he has worked through 40 different men through thousands of different years, and he has preserved it over thousands of years for you so you can know his mind. He's communicated with you. And if you know Christ then you know some things that the most brilliant people on earth don't know. You know the true and living God who spoke the universe into existence. You know God's plan for history. If you read some Revelation in Daniel and Ezekiel, and we'll, we'll be dealing with Revelation on Wednesday, you'll know God's plan for all of history. You know how to have your sins forgiven if you're a friend of Christ. You know that you'll spend eternity with Him in glory. You know you'll know how He wants you to conduct yourself. In all of life's difficult situations and circumstances of life, you will know what He expects of you. And God has given you all of that and more in His Word. And He's given you the Holy Spirit if you're saved. When you get saved, God comes. The moment you're saved, you don't have to wait for it or speak in tongues or anything weird like that. The moment you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and helps you to understand His Word and helps you to live the life He's called for you. Why? Because God wants to be your friend, not just your master. He doesn't stop being your master, but he does want to be your friend too. He does. So we can only be a friend of Jesus because he died for us, one. Friends of Jesus love people the way God loves people. <clears throat> friends of Jesus obey his commands. And friends of Jesus understand his truth. The last one is this. Friends of Jesus have been chosen to produce fruit for Jesus. If you're a friend of Jesus, he intends for you to produce fruit for him. Look at verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, <clears throat> he may give it you. And so what does Jesus mean here by ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you? Well, he's just reminding us that we would have never been able to be his friend if he did not choose to die for us. We did not seek him out. He sought us out. And we could not be his friend at all had he not chosen to die for us. Romans 3.11 says, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And so Jesus didn't just die for you and then leave it there. He actually died for you and then sought you out. People don't look for God on their own. 
Jesus came to this earth and he died for all mankind, but he also went out and found 12 apostles. You know what you don't find? Apostles chasing Jesus down, can I follow you? Here's what you find. Jesus says, you, follow me. You, follow me. You, follow me. Because that's how it works. Because men don't seek God on their own. God seeks them. It's like you bought a gift for someone and you're chasing him down the road, trying to give him the gift. This is what God did. He died for man. He paid for your sin. And now he's actively pursuing you because he loves you and saying, please take the gift. And he has sent people to you. And this is friend day. And there's a good chance you're here because one of God's people has invited you to come and hear. And you would have never done that on your own. But God sent somebody to come to you to come hear the message. And God called these 12 men, personally came down, called them out, died for them, and then told them, now you go find others. And you go find others. And that's God's plan, isn't it? And if if people are going to know the gospel, then we need to take this seriously and understand this, that people will not seek God on their own. We need to go out there and introduce them to God. And that's what God's called us to do. Because we won't do that all by ourselves. We have not chosen Him. He chose us. If nobody ever reached out to you with the gospel, you would have never found Jesus. Now it's true that you have to receive the gift that God gave you, but Jesus did all the work, didn't he? He He did all the work. He died on the cross. He's the one who became a man. And then he sent people your way. He sent people your way. The reason why we invite people to come to church, that wasn't our idea either. God told us. God commanded his people to go out into the field and reach people for him. This was God's idea, and we would not have come up with that idea on our own. We needed God to tell us that. And so God died for us, and now God is seeking us, and God is, it's almost like he's chasing you down this morning. And if you're here, and if you've never been saved, if your sins have never been forgiven, God died for you, God loves you, and right now he is again chasing you down, trying to get you to accept the gift that he paid for you. And if you die and wake up in hell forever, you will know that God, did he did try to save your sin, your soul from hell. He did try to forgive your sins. He didn't want you to spend eternity there, but, but he has been chasing you. He has been seeking you out. He has been telling you, you deserve hell forever. You deserve my judgment, and I don't want you to face my judgment, so I died for you. Accept the gift. Accept the gift. But sadly, there are so many who won't and remain enemies. And I hope that's not you this morning. I hope you don't leave this room still an enemy of God. And if you have been saved, <clears throat> and, have you, and if you've been living in sin, making decisions you know you ought not to have, and, and making your, listen, here's, here's the reality, when we live that way, making yourself an enemy of God, He doesn't want that. And He wants to forgive your sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He will help you overcome that. He will help you get over that. He will reinstate you. You'll be like the prodigal son who has come back and he'll give you, he'll hug you and he'll kill the fatted calf and he will give you the strength and the power to live the life that he has called you to live, a fruitful life. But you have to make the choice to stop being his enemy. Yeah. Hey, he didn't just choose to save us so that we don't suffer his wrath, although that's a big part of it. But he also chose to save us so that we would bear fruit 
that remains. Isn't that what he said? He has ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus intends for you to live a different life than you did before you were saved. He saved your soul from hell, but he also saved you from a life of sin. And the life you lived before he found you was empty and shallow and unfulfilling. And Jesus intends for you to, he intends to give you eternal life, but he also intends to give you an abundant life here on earth. And the only way, the only life that brings true fulfillment that remains, purpose that remains, joy that remains, peace that remains, is living the life that God has called for you. That is the only way to have fruit that remains. And the only way to live a life like that is to be a friend of Jesus and to ask him for his help. That's what he said at the end of verse 16. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He will give you, listen, Jesus promises that he will give you all the help you need to live the life he's called you to. You're just going to have to ask him. And you might say, no, I, I made a mess of things. My life is, is over. I can't do anything. I've, I've messed up too bad. No, Jesus said, whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, I'll give it you. If you want to live a life that, that is glorifying to God, Jesus says he can help you do that, but you're going to have to be his friend, and you're going to have to ask God for help. And God, Jesus promises he'll help you. And I've seen Jesus turn some lives around. And I've seen him put some pieces back together that no, no one ever thought were going back together. Because he's our God. And he loves you. And he wants to do that. But you're going to have to humble yourself before him and say, God, Jesus, I've not been your friend. In fact, I've, I've, made, you, I've made you my enemy. But I want to be your friend. But I can't do it. I can't do it. Jesus says, that's okay. I can do it. But you're going to have to ask. You have to ask. You recognize that you've made some bad decisions and, and, the, and the, you're in the place you are in because of the decisions you've made, but now you choose different. And now you choose to follow Christ and you know you can't do it, but Jesus can do it. He can help you do it. And he wants to help you. He desperately, desperately wants to help you. But you're going to have to give up that life and ask him to help you live the life that he's called you to. Live a life that produces fruit that remains. <clears throat> so do you want to be a friend of Jesus this morning? That's the great question, isn't it? He's not automatically your friend. And I don't care what fancy new song comes out that says it. He is not, he is not automatically your friend. But he wants to be your friend. Desperately wants to be your friend. He did everything possible to be your friend. He died for you. He sent someone to you to bring you here today. This is not an accident that you're here today. All you need to do is ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible says He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible says in Romans, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The promise of God. You don't have to get baptized to be saved. You don't have to live a better life to be saved. You don't have to turn over a new, new leaf to be saved. You don't have to know a lot more about the Bible to be saved. You don't have to get your ducks in a row to be saved. No, all of that happens after you're saved. 
after you're a friend of Jesus, then he does that. Then he, he turns over the new leaf. Then he helps, then you get baptized to tell people what you've done inwardly. Then you live the life that God has called you. Then you produce fruit that remains. But right now, what all you need to do is call out to Christ, realizing you can't do it. But you need him to forgive you of your sin and to help you. If you are saved today, if you're already a friend of Jesus, or you have been, are you acting like it now? Are you letting him be your friend throughout your week, not just at church? Or are you ignoring him? Are you giving him the hand? You know what I'm talking about. He intends, listen, Jesus intends for you to live an abundant life following him. But are you settling for a shallow, empty, purposeless life that the world has to offer? He wants, listen, Jesus wants to help you produce fruit that remains. He wants to help you find true satisfaction. And if you're living for yourself, I know you're not satisfied. You might, you maybe are satisfied for a couple of minutes every now and then, but it's so fleeting. And what you thought was going to bring so much joy only brought emptiness and, and regret. But God wants you to have true satisfaction, true joy, peace that remains. But you have to let him. You have to humble yourself before him. And you have to ask. And by the way, God can't wait for you to ask. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? The son who left and wasted everything the father gave him. And he's eating with the pigs. And some of us feel like we're eating with the pigs. And we left home with everything. And we thought, oh, I'm leaving this. And, and my, I'm going to live life my own way. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be everything I ever wanted. And when we, out there, we went out there and we lived life our own way. We made decisions apart from God. And we, we, we found out it's nothing like I thought. And now here I am sitting with the pigs. You know what the father was doing the whole time? He was there at the end of the road waiting. Waiting, anxiously, eagerly waiting. And then the Bible says he saw his son coming afar off. That means he's been looking. He's been waiting. He's been waiting. He's been waiting. And if you're living a life outside of his will, if you're living life for yourself, if you know, you know right now you're not doing right, right now you're not a friend of Jesus. Right now you're out in the pig pen. But Jesus wants to be your friend. And he is waiting, arms open wide, hoping that you're going to come up the road and he can meet you and he can kill the fatted calf and he can turn everything around and accept you back into his fold. Be a friend of Jesus. But you're going to have to ask him. Let's bow together this morning. <clears throat> I don't do this often, but I want to ask a couple of questions as we close this morning. If you're here this morning and you know that you're saved, you know that your sins are forgiven, if you, if you wouldn't mind to raise your hand, that'd be a blessing. Amen. All over the room. Praise the Lord for that. If you bow your head and close your eyes, no one's looking around. If you're saved this morning, but you know you're not really a friend of Jesus right now, Pastor, I just need someone to pray. I'll pray for you. Does anyone like that in here? If you'd raise your hand, I'd be glad to pray for you this morning. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. If you're here this morning and you don't know that you've ever accepted Christ as Savior, you don't know 
that you've ever asked Jesus to forgive you based on what he did for you on the cross. If you don't know you're saved this morning, I'd love to pray for you if you raise your hand. Is there anyone like that this morning? Pastor, I don't know if I'm saved. Let's pray. We'll get right into our invitation tonight. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for you loving us the way that you have loved us. Thank you that even while we were enemies of yours, you died for us and you made a way that we could be made right with you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Lord, help us, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has never accepted that gift, who has never asked for you to save them from their sin, that you would work in their heart this morning. God, if there's some here that are saved but aren't living for you, that you would help us, God, to get those things right. And, and, and there are potentially many in this room that are friends of yours. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us be thankful for that. Lord, we don't deserve it still. We're so thankful. We love you. Christ, in my prayer. Amen. Stand together. Piano's going to play.